Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of the Publisher Lab. I'm Tyler Bishop and joined alongside me today is no one, no one at all. The office is empty and that's because it is the end of the year and this is the time that we take to reflect and obviously my producers and uh, our good friend Shelby Kang and all the other co-hosts that have filled in for her uh, this year are gone and they're probably enjoying some much needed time away as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. And so I thought it would be a really great time to look both back and ahead at some of the things that uh, were supposed to be trends in 2019 and maybe ended up being not trends or maybe things going in a completely different way. And then maybe looking into 2020 and seeing with a crystal ball, can we predict some of the things that were supposed to happen then? And so I've pulled up a couple articles here from folks that predicted uh, things inside of uh, 2019. And I really just want to kind of touch on what I think actually happened with these. And then um, maybe that can tell us a little something about some of the things that maybe are being predicted already about 2020. So kind of hopping in here, the first is I'm looking at some predictions from uh, actually what's new in publishing, which is uh, so. I believe it's Sovereign Run, uh, but they actually do a really great job of putting together good content. And so uh, we will reference them quite a bit on the show. And they were talking at the start of this article, which was written in January 2019, January 4th, actually. Um, it says, 5G will herald a new age of advertising. And the extra bandwidth provided by the jump from 3G to 4G spurred on today's app economy and providing the foundations for everything from Uber to mobile video streaming, the rollout of 5G will have a similarly transformative effect. Um, I don't know that we've seen that. In fact, uh, I think the promise was that 5G would help speed up the web. And I think the thing that's probably speeding up the web is probably the pressure from Google um, more than anyone else, but um, it the major platforms see site speed as a competitive advantage against uh, someone like Apple, who um, the appification of the internet, uh, apps are much faster and a better user experience in a lot of cases, and so um, regular old internet has to sort of compete with that, and most of these incumbent platforms like Google, Facebook, um, you know, pretty much everything that's not an app or takes place on the regular web, um, which Facebook is an app, I suppose, so it kind of competes a little bit with both. But um, these technologies compete with someone like Apple who benefits from the application of the Internet. And I think that the speeding up of it, uh, along with uh, also trying to adapt in emerging markets where the Internet isn't as fast, has led to um, a lot of websites trying to do everything they can um, to improve site speed, largely because they're afraid that these large platforms will punish them or leave them behind if they don't. And so I'm not sure that 5G has had the effect that people necessarily thought it would, um, at least not yet. And I think it's probably one of those overused terms, a lot like artificial intelligence, that people are probably really tired of hearing about now. Heading into some of the other things that were mentioned in this article... Uh, there's this topic of XR, which I don't even remember very much. Uh, XR is extended reality, so immersive advertising experiences that will be built into uh, augmented reality or virtual reality. Well, I, I think that AR and um, VR um, 
largely had their, the Gartner hype cycle has these really fun names for uh, emerging, te- emerging technologies or um, experiences. And uh, inside of the hype cycle, there's this point to which a technology has, you know, sort of reached its peak of inflated expectations, as they call it. And then they enter what's called the trough of disillusionment. And I'd have to look to see where VR and AR are, according to Gartner right now. But uh, I would venture to guess that AR and VR are probably in that spot right now where they were very, very hyped at one point. And now I would say that people, uh, in large part, probably think it's jumped the shark a little bit. Um, But I'm not sure that that's the case. I think we will see these technologies emerge and ultimately have some uh, really amazing applications in the world around us. And, and that doesn't exclude advertising or publishing, but I do not think in 2019 we saw that come to fruition. And then lastly, in this article, it mentions uh, new revenue streams and navigating data regulation for publishers. So uh, I do think it was the year where publishers started looking at mixed uh, revenue models. I do think that one of the things that had been borrowed from traditional media is that publishers had to adopt one particular type of revenue model and kind of make that work. So whether that was to make money off of advertising, whether that's programmatically or directly sold or uh, through affiliate marketing or through uh, product sales or through um, subscriptions or donations, all these things were thought to be different models. And I think what we're seeing now is that uh, data can actually make us better at these things, that there can be subscriptions, there can be donations, there can be ads, there can be affiliates and products being sold, and that publishers in general, uh, creativity being applied to this and even applying just some data to um, the different types of visitors that they have, that they can monetize different audiences in different ways, they can um, explore different types of content availability depending on what a user is willing to um, do or interact with or even spend their money on uh, to access. So I do think that publishers are starting to take a larger look at, hey, why can't I sell a product in this one instance? Because I've got a really popular article, and I think that I could turn this article into something that actually generates some sales. So why not do a one-off here and make some money? Um, Same thing can be said between affiliates and ads. I think these two things were sort of separate, and I think now you're seeing a lot more mixed revenue. And I think traditional publishers are looking at things like subscriptions and donations and saying, well, maybe we don't have to completely create this model to have a subscription revenue side of the business. And um, I do think that that may be the way forward. So I do think that that's something that was predicted that is sort of coming to fruition, although I'm not sure we've seen the peak of creativity there either. And then is it really navigating data regulation? Boy, was that... Uh, right on the nose, and probably a lot more than what people expected. Um, CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, is going into effect here soon. It's very similar to GDPR, where we're basically saying is a part of this legislation that's going to take place in the United States, or the state of California in particular, um, users need to be able to provide some kind of consent that data will be collected and potentially used in the future for advertising or something along those lines, pretty much anything Um, they want the user to know and be aware of and give consent. And then uh, I saw last week it looked like um, someone had introduced a bill uh, federally that would uh, provide something like that uh, across all the United States. So 
Uh, it was marked as very similar to CCPA or GDPR. And California, for those that are outside of the United States, often will, the laws that go into effect inside of the state of California will often then be borrowed and then implemented federally. It's sort of a precedent that's been set throughout history. The state of California will sort of um, uh, oftentimes be on the front edge of new legislation. And if it goes into effect federally, it'll often be used as precedent in writing new law. So um, GDPR is fun and is uh, effective <laughs> as that's been. Uh, sure, why not? Let's do it uh, in other places too. It doesn't seem to make much sense. Um, it doesn't seem to be protecting consumers. People don't seem to f be feeling like they're not having their privacy um, violated by large platforms. So I don't think that this has been effective at doing what it's doing, but it's certainly changed the space as we start to talk about things like um, third-party cookies and um, and browser tracking and things like that uh, potentially going away. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that doesn't think in some regard that those things are not going to be the way that they've always been anymore. And uh, yeah, I think that leaves a lot up in the air in 2020. And I think you, we'd be lying if we said we know for a fact how that's going to pan out. Um, so we don't even know if some of these things will end up being new laws. But if they are, um, I think it's fair to say that um, it will change things. And in a lot of cases, we may not know exactly how that uh, affects things until long into the future, because uh, a lot of these things are far-reaching in the way that they affect things. So um, very interesting um, as we head into the, the, the next year. One of the things I thought was really interesting is uh, going back and looking at some things. Statistica uh, had a forecast of e-publishing by revenue, by segment worldwide that they were predicting. And um, they had predicted, as well as everyone else, that uh, publisher ad rates would continue to rise in 2019. We actually saw a flattening, and we saw this in the Ad Revenue Index, which you can see at adrevenueindex.ezoic.com. Um, and we saw that ad rates for the first time in a really long, basically since we've been tracking it for the last five or six years, um, did not increase. So we saw on Black Friday of 2019, 99 in the index, and then 100 in 2018. So that means in 2018 on Black Friday, there's a record that was yet to be broken um, and in 2019, we were just short. Um, so it's close. It's not like ad rates took this huge hit, but they are, they are consistently not lower, but I guess close, largely the same. And I think that that leaves a lot to be desired from publishers or who are sort of kind of building in this increase over time, uh, to the way that they run forecasts for their business. And 2020 certainly has a lot more, um, a lot more up in the air as you're talking about a lot of conglomeration in the technology space. And you're also talking about um, a lot of the way that aver online advertising programmatic specifically is going to change this year, uh, most likely. The one thing that you can say as a publisher is you do have an audience that's not changing. The people that read and enjoy your content, those people are the same. And so advertisers definitely want to reach them. And the mechanism by which they do so um, may change, but or the way that they target them may change, but your value to them won't. And so I do think that ultimately publishers will be uh, in good shape here. But certainly 2019 has been um, hard to predict in that respect. And uh, 2020 certainly provides the same level of uh, uncertainty. 
So I'm also looking at Neiman Lab here, which is a really good source of research and, um, and statistical analysis. And um, this one actually relates to journalism, but I thought it was really interesting um, kind of looking back at 2019, the predictions, and then just tend to kind of see how those have played out as we reach the end of 2019, head into 2020. Um, Celeste, Celeste Lacombe, um, uh, had mentioned something at the start of this one um, about local news needing um, uh, conversation to survive and said most people don't consume news because they want to be more informed about the news. They want to be informed about the news that they're likely to talk about. I'm, whether you agree or disagree with that, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I've I have yet to process that, but the thing that I find interesting is that I do think that this is a challenge that local news has in general, because I think that local news is not the place that people go to be on the cutting edge of what's going on uh, around me or in the world. I think social media and a lot of other outlets have started to provide that to an extent. But I do think that people want to be involved in a more localized, more... Um, I guess, community-based conversation, and I do think that local news has an opportunity for that. Candace Callison said that journalists will need to learn from uncovering um, more indigenous journalists, um, and indigenous journalists and media counter the systematic bias, often by reporting on what isn't covered or covered well or covered consistently by other media. Um, I do think that that's true. I do think that we are seeing an emergence of more voices online. And I think that there was a time a few years ago where this was viewed as a negative thing because of uh, hashtag fake news and um, uh, journalistic integrity. But I think now as you look at these large uh, incumbent um, news uh, organizations, people don't see them as unbiased. And I think they see them as compromised. And so now... When you see good information and it appears objective and you can build trust, um, I do think these indigenous journalists as are described, or I, I would say just kind of niche um, niche reporters that are not necessarily through coming through traditional media uh, channels are providing a lot of really interesting uh, value to readers and listeners, and I do think that's an opportunity for, for publishers to tap into. Mariana Mora Santos says, from page views to impact, metrics of impact will be our golden data points. We need to understand if what we're creating has any effect on the world we live in. So speaking from a content creator's perspective, talking about um, moving away from page views as a metric and more towards the impact. Um, I certainly think that that's still something that um, publishers and uh, content creators would love, but um, I... I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in the world of advertising that is buying purely on these things um, outside of maybe some uh, some smart people that are uh, working very specifically or closely with uh, certain publishers or have certain relationships. Uh, certainly, the industry has not moved as a whole in that direction. It, it certainly doesn't feel that way in 2019. Uh, Almar Latour said, reported facts weaponized in service of action. Uh, so the, he's talking about readers facing big issues uh, and and saying that they will crave actionable perspectives. I don't know what that means. Uh, reported facts weaponized in the service of action. That seems like that seems like something somebody that um, 
really likes to post things on Twitter to get retweeted, would say. So, Almar Latour, I see what you're doing there. Nice try. Ali Reisman said that he believed that 2019 would be the rise of vertical storytelling. In 2019, he predicted that horizontal storytelling will feel stale and old and that vertical stories will be all the rage. Again, um, I'm Googling right now as we speak uh, what horizontal storytelling is. I'm sorry. I I work in this space, and um, uh, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that means. It says, according to Google, it says, what is vertical storytelling? Vertical storytelling is creating content for a vertical story, Um, blah, blah, blah. It's not just about videos. It's about storytelling on mobile devices. It's about the interactivity of text, pictures, sound, and video to grab the consumer by the eyeballs to make them pay attention. Um, again, this is this has said nothing to me. These are these are the words that marketers and advertisers use all the time. Um, there's nothing specific here. It doesn't say long articles. It doesn't say video yes, video no. It just says, yeah, it's about... On mobile devices, yep, we know people are reading and watching stories on mobile devices. It's certainly something uh, Google and all the others have let everyone on the in the space know that people are on mobile devices. And beyond that, how else would you ex- expect to tell them a story, whether if it's not through text, pictures, sound, and video? So, um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of these predictions here that are appearing. People were saying a lot of nothing. Um, which I think is something you have to be aware of heading into 2020. There are going to be a lot of predictions that um, really think about what that means in terms of specifics. So these big broad-based things of 2020 will be the year of video storytelling. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that um, it'll be the year that you see major publishers scrap written content altogether and go pure video? Well, no, it probably doesn't mean that. Well, then, okay, what do you mean by it's the year of video storytelling? Does that mean that more video content will be consumed globally? Well, yeah, that's almost a given, given the rise of mobile devices and the rise of uh, mobile video, meaning uh, more video content consumed on mobile, more mobile devices, more internet connectivity on mobile devices across the globe. Those things make sense. Let's get down to specifics. And then Rasmus uh, Kles-Nielsen said, a long, slow slog with no one coming to the rescue. Much of the news currently published online is simply not worth paying for. Some of it is hardly worth our fleeting attention, let alone hard-earned cash. For the most part, a lot of this information is purely a commodity, and the subscription news model will not make it. While I do think that the very for all pretty much everything he said to the very end, I 100% agreed with, I do not agree that subscription news will not work at all or will fail it's been here since it's been here for a very long time i do think that it is a niche audience the number of people willing to pay uh subscription for written news is is very small and it's not going to grow this is not something that's going to be fed into um people in general are spending more on subscription based products than ever before whether you're thinking about um (laughs) you know the the video content that you consume to the groceries that you have to things that you buy for nutritional supplements or, I mean, just about everything now you can find a subscription plan for. And um, and so news, I think, actually is more competitive than ever before. And he certainly has a great point about information being a commodity. If you are a publisher that does have something unique that people are willing to pay for that is content, you have something very special. And I think every publisher should ask themselves, can I make that or do I have that now? Um, 
So I do think Nielsen has a great point there. Um, and I think that that's a really good one to finish on. Just as we head into 2020, I think it speaks to the fact that we need to challenge a lot of the premises and predictions that we're going to start this year with. Um, let's look for specifics, and maybe that's something we can dig into on our next podcast um, as we get into 2020. But I think looking at 2019, some of these broad predictions, um, I don't think anyone ever asked what that meant, you know, that 5G was, this was going to be the year of 5G emergence. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that, you know, we will largely all all consumers in emerging markets will have, or not emerging markets, but I guess um, I guess mo- the the most widely uh, widely trafficked uh, audiences in the world will have access to five five G all of a sudden. Um, I don't think anybody would have predicted that. I don't think that. I think you can look at roadmaps for major networks, and it didn't appear to be the case. So, why would that be a good prediction for 2019? I'm not sure, but. Heading into 2020, I think you're going to see a lot of this um, stuff here in the coming weeks and months, and I think it's really good to say to yourself, what does that mean specifically, and does that make sense? And that being said, I hope you're all enjoying, <laughs> enjoying, yeah, um, it's, it's, it, I, hey, everyone, it's, it's one of those times where everybody's kind of kicking back and relaxing, so you're going to have to cut me a break with my words. Uh, I'm alone on this one, so I have nobody to save me. And um, hopefully in the next episode, we'll get Shelby back and she can save all of your ears from my, my, yeah, I'm, I'm out of words completely at this point. Yeah, she'll save you from all my words. And uh, that being said, I do want to say thank you to uh, all of our listeners who have joined us uh, throughout the year and left us reviews and great feedback. We do have a website now, publisherlabpodcast.com. You can go and leave us feedback, send us questions. We'd love nothing more to hear from all of you that are listening to give us feedback on the types of content that you enjoyed on the show, the content that you didn't. Um, And then we also have uh, video clips of the podcast and video recordings going on right now as well. So if you want to watch aspects of this that are sped up or get insights in video form on the podcast, um, we've expanded quite a bit. So we want to thank you for um, listening because that's why we've, added these things because you've shared this with others and continued to help us grow the podcast. And for that, we're very grateful. And we hope you've had a great 2019 and that 2020 will be even uh, more great or greater, greaterer. We hope it's that. We hope whatever it is, it's greaterer. And that's all I have. And happy new year. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Publisher Lab.